If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. Welcome to the Happy, Grateful, and Blessed podcast, everybody. I'm here with my friend, Rachel Terry. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. For being here. I am so excited to talk to you today. You are running for attorney general. Yes, I yes. am. And so um, I'm sure everyone's hearing about this. This is going to be very exciting for Utah. It's exciting for me personally just because I know you and I've been able to work with you on convention stuff and for the for the Republican Party. Um, but Rachel, I was talking to my husband, talking to my kids, telling them about this podcast, and they said, what does the attorney general do? And I, I really don't know exactly. Well, let me tell so you about tell it. Us. Please tell yes. us. Yes. So, and I know this well because I worked at the attorney general's office for seven years. Uh, I handled civil rights litigation defending the state. And what people may not realize is the attorney general's office is huge and does all kinds of work. There are over 500 investigators, attorneys, and legal professionals in the office, and they work across the state. So the mission of the Attorney General's office is to protect Utahns, Utah's resources, and uphold the law, uh, the United States Constitution, the state constitution, state law. So, And in Utah, the Attorney General is an elected position. It's not appointed. Uh, which is true in most states. So what does the attorney general do? The attorney general is a chief law enforcement officer and head of the attorney general's office, which has two sides. There's a civil side to the office and there's a criminal side. The criminal side is exactly what you think of. They are investigating and prosecuting criminals. And, and it's really broad what they're working on. They're working on drug trafficking, human trafficking, child fighting child pornography, and even thing, uh, violent crimes, gang uh, crimes, all, ki all kinds of crimes, all the crimes uh, the Attorney General's office is working on. And they have their own investigators there too. Then the other side of the office is a civil side, and it's huge because everything you can think of that a law office would do, the Attorney General's office is doing, and at a very large and a very uh, professional scale. So, for example, the division that I worked in, the litigation division, uh, defends school districts, universities, and state agencies uh, in employment, personal injury, and civil rights claims. Then you have uh, divisions that advise universities and state agencies, so they work with the Department of Natural Resources, they work with the Department of Corrections or Commerce, and they are the general counsel to those departments. And then you have those that are fighting antitrust, those that are, and then a really big push right now, especially and has been for a while, is public lands. So they work with, um, it's called PLIPCO. They are the attorneys who handle public lands issues. But there are attorneys in the attorney general's office who work specifically on public lands. So it's a huge office, and everything that touches the law in the state of Utah, the attorney general's office is working on. In fact, right now we're in the middle of the legislative session, and the Attorney General's office is advising 
on the statutes and the bills and the laws and the policies that are going on right now during the session because those bills and policies are going to have to be executed and complied with by the Attorney General's office. So when we look at bills um, that impact universities, state agencies, and school districts, we think, okay, uh, what role does the AG's office have in this, and how do we make sure that um, we're providing the best legal advice possible? So it, it's a long explanation because it is so big and broad what the Attorney General's office does. And that's why it's really important that the person who is the Attorney General, who is the chief law enforcement officer, who is the chief uh, manager of that office, is laser-focused on the mission of the office, which is protecting Utahns and Utah's resources and upholding the law, and is setting the tone and direction of the office moving forward. I really appreciate your explanation there because it is a little bit confusing. What we've just seen as couch sitters in my house, um, you know, we've seen our attorney general wearing tactical gear and in other countries and doing other types of things. And so I, I guess that sometimes it might be appropriate to join with other states in, in, in a lawsuit because I've seen a lot of that happen. Yes. Right? But mostly it's important to focus on Utah. That's right. Is that true? Okay. That is true. And sometimes protecting Utah means joining with other states. So, for example, when we think about immigration, the problem with uh, immigration right now is so severe with millions of people coming through the border that it's not just a border state issue. We're all border states now. Uh, thousands true. of people are coming through into Utah. And so what the Attorney General of Utah can do is support and stand with those attorneys general and governors of those um, states who are on the border. And also, uh, one of the best ways for the attorney general to fight for Utah is to be in court and to join lawsuits across the country to promote the policies that are best for Utah. If it's not good for Utah, the attorney general shouldn't be involved. And and being very Utah-focused while also working with our partners across the different states to make sure we have the exact laws and policies that we need. And one area in particular is federal overreach. Good. That is Great a, area to focus on. Yes. And that's <laughs> something I'm very focused on because in my work, uh, so I'll just give you a little background about me. Yes, please me. do. I've been an attorney for 20 years, and I have been a litigator for most of that time. Up until the last two years of my career, I've been a litigator. And sometimes that's another word people are, okay, what does that even mean? I'm glad that you're describing and explaining that. Yes. Litigator is a fancy word for trial lawyer. Okay. So it means, although most cases don't go to trial, so we use litigator because a lot of them don't actually lead to a jury or a bench trial. But I have been a trial lawyer for most of my career. And what that means is a case comes in and I represent that client all the way through that case. And my experience has been very broad. Um, started in private practice before uh, working for the state for the last 10 years. Anything from uh, some of the most notable cases I've worked on have been some very public cases for the University of Utah, for Utah State University, involving um, Title IX violations, sexual assault, um, and unfortunately, even the murder of uh, two different students. So those are the kinds of cases that I've been involved with. And then also represented the Space Dynamics Lab in this super cool case that involved space technology. Uh, they certainly didn't enjoy being sued, but they were a wonderful client. And that case took 
10 years to make it through from start to finish. Okay, Rachel, well, let me pause you right there. Yeah. Is there anything that the AG's office can do to rein in that long, expensive timeline? I think that is the most ridiculous thing about the law, that someone can sue you and it can take years and hundreds of mm -hmm. thousands, maybe millions, especially in a case like that, of dollars. Is there anything that anyone can do to limit that? One of the things that we can do is, um, in terms of, <clears throat> it's, an, it's a resource issue. Oh. We need more judges. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and we need... Um, Judges to be committed to moving cases through. Sometimes judges like it to be low, you know, slow, because then they think it helps uh, the parties come together and negotiate. Uh, I worked for I, a judge, yeah. Judge Cassell. He had something called the rocket docket, meaning he didn't let things drag on. And if anyone's been involved in a lawsuit, when it goes on and on, it's so expensive. It ties up their lives and doesn't bring resolution. Even the simplest cases are at least two years. Really. Yes. And that's sort of an average? That's an average. That's just how it goes. And it's because we allow the, you know, the attorneys are buried, and so they get extensions. The judges are busy. They don't get opinions out. There are some federal judges that I had cases sitting before them fully fully briefed, meaning we had submitted all the documentation. We'd made our arguments. We'd gone to court. We'd uh, had our hearings, and we waited for a year on the opinion. That is incredible. And I and I do understand what you're saying as far as, you know, everyone's working really hard or maybe some people are working hard but slowly. <laughs> it would just be really nice. I've heard so many examples of people just financially being decimated. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, they still win, <clears throat> but they've spent all their money and time and emotional energy. They end up divorced. I mean, you know, you've heard, you've been in, this is your world. So anyway, that was a sidebar question. Oh, yeah. Sometimes even when you win, you lose. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, And so that's something now in, in my role as the director for the Utah Division of Risk Management, that's another state agency that no one really knows what it is. We're basically the insurance provider for the state. We provide insurance to all the state agencies, the K through 12 and universities. Liability so, insurance? Uh Liability, okay. property, auto. So if there's um, property damage, we cover it. If someone has an employment claim, we cover it. If there's an auto accident, we cover it for those agencies. And we have thousands of claims we manage each year and a $100 million budget. And we're working on a massive restructure because that's an area that's become incredibly expensive for businesses. Very, very true. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know that. crushing people. Yes, it is true. And so we're using some innovative solutions. And in that role, I get to, um, my one of my responsibilities is to approve settlements on behalf of these covered entities. And so I work very closely with the attorneys at the Attorney General of General's office on the litigation and on um, what is settlement appropriate. And that's one of the things that you mentioned, sometimes even when you win, you lose that we are very mindful of. Good. Because we try to bring resolution to these cases for the state, but also for the plaintiffs. Because if the state's done something wrong, we should acknowledge it and we should fix it if we can. Um, and sometimes we just need to litigate it to, to get to the end of the case that provides not just resolution for that case, but resolution for big legal questions. I had a case, um, it, 
it involved some school districts and um, whether or not the school districts had to provide separate girls to tackle football teams. You know, on a personal level, I think girls' sports are incredibly important. My daughter's 13, and she plays lacrosse, and and I played sports uh, all growing up, and so athletics for girls was really important to me. But at the same time, there was an important legal question in that case, and so we didn't res- we didn't settle it because settling it wouldn't really answer the questions that needed to be answered, which sometimes only the courts can answer these questions. And it went to trial, and it was a three-week trial. I learned a lot about high school sports, so I, I feel you like... You're the expert. Good. <sighs> yeah, I feel like we could talk about that for a whole hour. Um, and at the end of the day, we won. And it was appealed, and we won again. It upheld the the fundamental legal questions. And that case was important because it helped identify what the legal parameters for Title IX were in the athletics, not just for these specific school districts, but it gave guidance for the state of Utah. And frankly, there hadn't been a case like that uh, involving athletics um, and Title IX for a decade. So it was the first case where we had a judge giving us direction and an opinion in 10 years on these critical issues of what where Title IX fits on these issues. And so again, that's part of what the Attorney General's office is supposed to do, is litigate the big questions, you know, take them to trial if needed, settle them if needed, to provide clarity and direction for the state of Utah, because that's the best way the Attorney General's office can um, uphold the law and protect Utahns. Well, I appreciate you explaining that that because it is critical to set a precedent, I guess, set a standard and, and and clarify it. And sometimes that's what it takes to get clarification. Rachel, you've been so involved in party um, in party party politics, I guess, in the Repu- with the Republican Party. Can't get that out. And I, I first met you, I don't even know, at a caucus meeting or something. Yeah, now I can't convention. It's been a while. It's been a while. But I just know that you have such an outstanding reputation among delegates and at the convention level, at the state level. And so, will you talk a little bit about your experience? Because that is all 100% service. And I know most of the people listening to this podcast know that. But for those that don't, you have given years of your life to the party. <laughs> yes. So, will you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, so, I. I remember going to my first caucus meeting many, many years ago and because I wanted to show up and be involved. I didn't really know how it worked. And I became a precinct chair, a precinct vice chair next time, a state delegate, a county delegate, which means you go to a convention all day Saturday and listen to the speeches. And not just going to the convention, but also doing all the groundwork the before to learn about the candidates. And then I wanted to be even more involved in the party. And so I ran to be on the state central committee. So every county gets to elect some people to be on the state central committee, which you are now on. Thank yes, you. Thanks to you. Yes. yes. And, um, and then in addition to that, I, so I did that for four years. It was a great experience. And then I have been the organizing chair for the Davis County Convention twice. That is a Big project. Big, big job. And you helped me with that. And uh, also was on the organizing committee for the state convention twice. Also a huge, huge massive job. It takes a lot. And what it makes me appreciate is that these volunteer opportunities matter. I mean, making sure those conventions happen are what got us, you know, allows us to come together as, as Republicans and elect our, uh, decide who's going to be on the ballot. So I'm a convention-only candidate. 
So for anyone who doesn't understand what that means, you can get on the primary ballot in two ways, or on the ballot generally in two ways. So first is to go through your party's convention. So the Republican Party has a caucus March 5th. Please get out and Super go to your Tuesday. caucus. Super Tuesday. You go to your caucus, you elect your delegate. Your delegates go to the conventions. At the convention, whoever the delegates select, um, if it's 60%, only that person gets out of convention. If it's less than 60%, the top two go to a primary, and the broader party um, votes on that. Now, the second way is through signature gathering. That means you go out and you get people's signatures and you get a certain number uh, to get on the ballot, and it's very, very expensive. And um, one of the problems with signature gathering is they don't have to choose who the candidate is. They don't have to vet them. They just have to they just sign their name on a piece of paper. And I think of the convention as a hiring committee panel. They're there to interview me to see if I should go on to the next round of interviews. And so I am convention only, and I'm excited about it. If those delegates decide I'm not the right person to be on the ballot, then I shouldn't be on the ballot. And I'll go back to uh, doing what I've been doing. And and I got distracted talking about some other things. So I, if you don't mind, I, I sure. want to... I'll tell you a little bit about the federal overreach issue. Oh, good. Thank you. So I talked about how I'd been involved in some of these cases, Title IX. Um, I represented coal mine operators, and I represented Space Dynamics Lab and lots of other clients. And in that work, I have seen how federal overreach impacts people's daily lives. So we use that term very it has so much more meaning than this big abstract concept. So I want to break it down a little bit. What it means is in schools, the federal government, and you know, we think of our elementary schools and our, our high schools in this K through 12 system, there are a lot of federal regulations on curriculum, on what they eat, on um, teaching, on, on DEI, all of, all of it. Mm -hmm. And so when you have people who are not elected, because these decisions are made by bureaucrats, um, these are policies that are they're infiltrating our schools, and those people aren't accountable to us. We can't unelect the head of the Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Education. Yes, you're right. Yes. So when the when they want to make a determination and they hold federal funding over these schools' heads, which is a lot of money, that's federal overreach. And then in energy policy, so when the federal government says what we can and cannot mine, uh, what kind of um, fuel we can use for our electricity. Hot uh, topic, yes. Hot topic. It really impacts uh, how much my, my electricity co costs when I turn on my lights. Absolutely. And when, um, and then in our, uh, in our public lands, now for those of us, I live in Bountiful, you're in Kaysville. Um, the public lands issue isn't quite as present in our lives. But if you go south of Utah County, it is present in everything they do because they can't build homes, they can't manage their schools as well because their lands are over 90% owned. But, but it, it is but, incredible. I'm shaking my head because it is. It's, it's incredible. incredible. They have and, no ability to control their own Any counties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When um, I was talking, I was in Grand County, only 4% of Grand County is privately owned, like it's private land. 
And so with that 4%, they had to figure out their tax base to support their schools, support their infrastructure. It would be so hard. Such a challenge. It is. It's almost impossible for them. And what's crazy about that is the federal government is telling those communities what trails they can go on, uh, how they can use those resources. I mean, even just being able to go ride your UTV on a trail, they're like, no, we don't think you should be able to do that. It's like, it, it, right. I'm, it I'm glad you're going to stand up against that because that is incredible. It is incredible. And they don't live there. The people who are making those decisions, they don't live in those communities. They don't care about the land. They haven't been protecting it like we have. And again, they're bureaucrats who are not elected and we can't hold them accountable. And this is an area where the attorney general will be incredibly effective because sometimes the only way you can protect your rights is in court. And that's where we're at right now with the federal government on our public lands. The only way we can fight this because Congress hasn't resolved it and the president, President Biden is not on our team. Nope. Is through lawsuits. And I am 100% committed to fighting the federal government to protect Utah's lands and our access to our lands and our access to our resources. That There's some really amazing coal seams in the state of Utah. And that has been our most effective and efficient energy source for now. Yes, you I was going to say, we're a power-producing city. We are a power-producing city in Caseville. And so, yes, I, I completely understand this. And yet, um, the policies that say, no, you have to have so much wind, so much solar, well, that's nice. Sure, we'd like to have cleaner renewables, but they are not consistent enough and they are not reliable enough. And so, you say, oh, you have to have wind and solar. Great. Oh, but you still have to have coal as your backup because it's just not enough. And yet they're telling us we can't access these clean coal seams or you can't have, you know, you need to generate your electricity somewhere else. These policies are nonsense. No, it is, they don't make any sense for, for Utah, for our yeah. ability to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient, independent, make sure that we have reliable, affordable energy moving forward. Yeah. It's it's a crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy, these discussions. I appreciate the fact that you're sharing your philosophy, your fundamental values, because I think a lot of people don't know. When I was running for mayor, they would ask me, how do you feel about the Second Amendment? How do you feel about this? And in my head, I'm thinking, I can't touch any of that in Kaysville. But what they're trying to get is my core fundamental belief system. And so this is what's really helpful for people to know. They want to know, how do you personally feel at a fundamental principle level? Yes. About these issues. And and I want people to know that this is where I'm at. I, I'm not a typical politician. I've been a trial attorney for almost 20 years. And I want to be, well, I'm not a politician. I just said I'm not a typical politician. I'm not a politician at all. I'm a lawyer who wants to do legal work. And the place that I think I can be most effective is the state's attorney general. I want to be transparent with people. If I'm not for them, then they need to know I'm not for them because I'm I'm here to serve and I want people to choose based on all the information. So um, a little plug for, for my website, it's rachelforutah.com. My phone number's on there, my uh, email's on there because I want people to decide if I'm the right person for them. And you talked about Second Amendment. That's, again, it's a way of people kind of figuring out your philosophy. My husband's a hunter. Uh, he loves it. It is the thing he thinks about and loves more than anything except for his family. <laughs> he loves us more. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's uh, great. I'm, I am going to come clean a little bit. On my website, it says I love hunting. 
That is my only and will only be my political fib. Uh, I love Justin. And Justin you support his love of hunting. <laughs> love hunting. I love that. <laughs> he took me and I'm like, wait a minute. You want me to sit in the dark and the cold at 5 a.m. and not talk? I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that sounds really fun. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, but I, I really want to be someone who is open and transparent. So one of the things in the, the attorney general's office uh, will have if I, if I win is more constituent outreach. So part of the reason people don't know what the AG does is because they can't see it. It's so true. I mean, and what we have seen is nothing has, to has do left with me the a office. little bit confused, right? Yes. Has nothing to do with the office. So I will refocus the office, and in refocusing the office, I will put um, an emphasis on outreach to constituents because even though the work—it's the legal work—it's prosecuting criminals, it's defending the state, it's providing legal advice. We need to do it in a way that people can connect with it. So, like our congressmen, they have um, town halls. They have constituent outreach services. Well, our attorney general's office should be doing the same. When people have a question, we should respond to it. Now, sometimes the answer is, I'm so sorry, we can't represent you in your personal lawsuit because that is not the role of the attorney general. The attorney general represents the people by protecting the state of Utah and not getting involved in in every person's lawsuit. But we have to find a place so they can ask those questions. And so if they don't like what I'm doing, there needs to be town halls where, where they tell me. Uh, I need to be accountable to the people of Utah because they are the ones who elect the attorney general. And I think the attorney general should be elected. So there's been I some... I was going to ask you that ne- next question, so thank you. Uh, a lot of people have said, well, why don't we just appoint our attorney general? And the reason is this. First, it's in our Constitution, and I think it was well thought out by, um, uh, by the framers of the Utah Constitution. And it's because... The attorney general's job is to represent the state of Utah. And the governor's job is he is the head of the executive branch. And the legislators, they are the legislative branch. They make our laws and they're executed by the governor's office. But the attorney general sits somewhere in between that uh, under the executive branch, but is a constitutional uh, officer that is supposed to give objective legal advice. And a little healthy tension between the attorney general and the governor and the attorney general and the legislature is really important so that um, when that advice is coming, it's not because of political pressure because, and when the attorney general is deciding whether or not to prosecute a case, it's not, you know, that isn't influenced by the fact that this is a donor, that um, this is, it's going to impact a legislator's race. It should be uh, with independence. Uh, from those. And making sure that the attorney general is focused on the state of Utah and is focused on what's best for the state of Utah is important. Not that the other branches aren't doing that, but it's a way to create a little friction to improve the process. I'm glad that you explained that because I think on one hand, people, I I think that the perception for a lot of people is a, a, a political race is a popularity contest. and And so I think that they maybe a lot of people who are busy living their lives or maybe not paying attention because, you know, you elect people and you expect them to do a good job. But but I know that the perception when I've been talking to people, especially younger people like my children's ages and their adults, um, will say, eh, it's just who has the most money wins or who has the most friends wins. And it's really 
not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be who truly is qualified, has the experience, has the passion, has the will to do the job. And so I appreciate you making that differentiation between elected versus appointed. Um, as we wrap this up, Rachel, because I know that you have so many meetings and you're very busy, tell us why, why are you running specifically for this office? I know you're not a career politician, and no. uh, this, is a, this is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big leap for my family to uh, be a part of this race. Uh, I have 13-year-old boy-girl twins, and um, I had to get their blessing along with my husband's because this is a big deal. So the reason I'm running is I am very passionate about the, the work that the attorney general can do to benefit the state of Utah. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. And I want to keep doing it. I've been a public servant for over a decade, and I want to keep doing that. And specifically, I want to refocus the office on the mission of the office, which is protect Utahns and protect Utah's resources. And I am the most qualified for the position. If you look at the resumes of all four Republicans running, mine is the most uniquely tailored to this specific job. So if we were just in a job interview right now, uh, I would lay out the resumes and I'd say, look at all this experience. Look at my experience in the practice of law. Look at my experience of running a state agency. Look at my experience with the party. I, I am the most qualified, but that's not enough. Like the motives need to be pure too. And for me, I'm here because I love Utah. I love how the attorney general's office can support Utahns and protect Utahns. And, and that's why I'm here. Rachel, since you're going the convention route, which is fantastic, um, how do people get involved? How do they learn more about the caucus system and how to get how to access it? Even maybe people don't even know what it is. So, yeah, uh, really quickly. So the caucus convention system is where on the on the first Tuesday of March we have, and it'll be Super Tuesday. You go to your neighborhood precinct. And there you elect delegates who will go to the conventions. So March 5th is caucus night. And you can figure out where your precinct is by going to precinctportal.org. And then um, there'll be a county convention and a state convention. The state convention where uh, the delegates will decide on whether or not I move on is April 27th. And I'm going to be posting a video that it, uh, has been created. It's nonpartisan that just explains the caucus system and how to participate. Uh, I'll be posting that on my uh, social media, but I'm also going to send it to you so you can include the link in your show notes. Do I would I really appreciate it because I've had so many people ask me, especially since we have a presidential election and they don't know how to get involved and they don't understand most of us don't understand a lot about it. So, okay, this will be fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we want as many people it. to get involved. So, thank you. Thank Rachel, you. I'm so glad that you're running. I'm excited to support you and continue supporting you. I think that you'll make a fantastic attorney general. You are the most prepared and um, experienced. You've worked hard. You've done everything that you need to do to learn about this job. And I think that you'll be fantastic. So, thank you. I love being here with you. Um, you're doing great work for. Kaysville, and not just for Kaysville, uh, for the entire state and all the things you're doing. So thank you for giving so much of your time and thank you for letting me be on this podcast. Thank you. To all my podcast listeners, thank you for listening. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Please leave comments and please leave suggestions for future guests. And most importantly, subscribe. Thank you.